Welcome to the Junior League of Cincinnati podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Junior League of Cincinnati Archives Committee. My name is Lisa Dye, and today we have a special treat for you straight from our archives. The following is an interview with Augusta Forker, who was our second president in 1921 to 1922. She's being interviewed by Margaret Fisk, who was our 16th president. This interview was conducted around 1988, and the background voice you hear is the wonderful Sarah Lou Durham, who is a current sustainer and former president and was the original producer of this interview. I hope all of you enjoy this slice of league history. You can now subscribe to the Junior League of Cincinnati podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Please subscribe to us today through your favorite podcast listing app. If you have any questions about how to listen to this podcast or you have a suggestion for us, you can email us at archives at jailcincinnati.org. This is Augusta Forker Reed, who was the second president of the Junior League of Cincinnati. And we've asked her to come here today so that we can get all sorts of information that otherwise will be lost. I don't know whether we're doing a history, but I do think we should have all the historic things down, and she knows better than anybody what to give us. Gus, I've always wondered, ever since I've been in the League, and that is a great many years, how it ever came to be started. I think it was due entirely to Peggy Wilson and Margaret Nichols and a group of those women who had a lunch club. And they had some friends in New York who were all members of the New York Junior League. And I think it was through their friendship with them. And they were asked if they, they asked them how to go about starting a league. And they told them how to do it. And we had the first organizational meeting in March of 1920 at the old Queen City Club. And there were about 150 people, as I remember. There were that many? There were. And they were all invited to come. And they all, they were the founding members. It was between 120 and 150. It's in the little red, little pink book, which I did not have. And the meeting, Peggy was elected the first president and the secretary and a treasurer. The whole officers were elected and a committee was appointed to write a constitution. The thing was very well organized by the time that meeting was over because these women had all done things. And most of the people that were members were already doing volunteer work. They were already working at the hospital. There was a tremendous group over there that were involved with the um, crippled children programs. And they were working in their churches. And all of the credit for all of that work was transferred to the Junior League with the little monthly postals, which we all had to keep and mail in the end of each month to be sure that we did our 100 hours a year which was a requirement. So it got started in that one big meeting. In the, from that one and big then meeting. you went on to monthly meetings? We went you? on to monthly meetings, which were held at the Cincinnati Country Club. The people were already involved with their church and with the Girl Scouts and the YWCA and the Fresh Air Farm, Clovernook, and many of the other organizations, particularly the School for Crippled Children. They tutored and they taught music over there and they provided the motor course service for the patients to come to the outpatient department at the hospital. And then we started a library there. 
and they provided book carts that went through the lib through the hospital, and that these things all continued for years. The policy of the Junior League has always been to start something, get it going, turn it over in an organized state to some group, and then move on and start something else. Which they've done right along. They have done that continuously. I think to this day you do not stay involved with anything very long. It's a continuous change. So we had to have some money. We became interested in the baby's milk fund. Our first money was raised by a big, uh, we had a dinner dance at the Sentinel. Was this the first year? I think that was almost the first year. Then we had the famous first rummage sale in the city of Cincinnati. People's store had moved up to People's Corner. Oh, yes, I remember. On the hilltop. And this tremendous building on Government Square was empty. And we got it for nothing, and we filled it with things. It was, they were collected from all over the city, and it was, you never saw so much stuff in your life. They'd ne People were there, the thing opened at nine o'clock in the morning, was pouring rain, oh. buckets. And the place was full of this stuff, and full of salespeople. And they let them come in, and they were just there all day, and by the end of the day, the only thing that was left were the wet shoes. <laughs> because everybody came into the shoe department, found a pair of shoes, and walked out in it. And we had, you never saw so many wet shoes in your life. They just left them for That's you. all we had. <laughs> I never heard any of this before. How much money did you make? Do you remember? We made enough money that we could guarantee we gave the milk then we got involved with the baby's milk fund, and we gave them enough money to buy a new truck to carry their supplies from one station to the other. And then the next year, we went ahead and guaranteed $3,600 a year to run the Richmond Street Station. Oh. So we had to get in the money-making business. You had a rummy sale every year? No, we got into the Follies. Oh. We had a Follies every year. Tell us about the Follies. And Grace, heaven knows, I've forgotten her last name, came out from New York and put this thing on. And it was a tremendous success. It was in the old, oh, the theater that used to be the symphony up on the parkway. Emory. Emory. Yeah. And it was always sold out, and it was very successful. We never had an empty seat, and there were great number of marriages that came out of this. It really was very more successful, and, and that was just as successful that way as any other way. And you made a lot of money in that. We made a lot of money of that. We made in the rummage sale, which we had in 22, $4,589.13. Now, that's a heck of a lot of money Whoa, for those money. days. Yes, indeed. It that is. really was. And by, by that time, we had 181 members, and uh, 14 of them went to the conference. There was a national conference every year. And you didn't have to be appointed. You just called up and said, I think I'd like to go to Detroit to the conference. So 14 of us went up, and we lived with various people that we knew in Detroit. And we had the gayest, wildest weekend. Oh, yes, you did. <laughs> Did they have, uh, 
Well, I guess they had conferences even before your league was started. Oh, yes, they'd always had those from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Then the Junior League, now by now, had a reputation for being pleasant, able, and always reliable volunteers. They had to go. The only excuse for not going was a child in the children's hospital or a trip of somebody in your family to Spring Grove. Oh, my. You just had to go. And we had many requests for our service. I think we've had a reputation right along for being even more reliable oh, yes. than, than higher I think. People. Oh, yes. And I think that's one of the things today. Because when anything is done in this city, it seems to me that it's the Junior League volunteers who are in there in key positions. Look at the bicentennial. Yes. I don't think they could have done it without you and the group from the Children's Hospital at Kinderville. And the cooperation between the two has been wonderful, hasn't it? Well, tell us, tell us a little more, Gus, about the people that you worked with in the beginning that started it up and kept it going. You said Peggy Wilson was the first. She was president. the first president. And it was really, you think, her idea maybe in the beginning? Well, it was a, a, her lunch club's idea. Oh, her lunch club. Her lunch club. I think really that's where it started. And then when it came to the election next year, it was very interesting because three people were put up. And one was Dorothy Snowden Rowe, Mrs. Stanley Rowe. The other one was Charlotte Rowe, Charlotte Nichols Rowe. Oh, wait, yes. And for some reason or other, I was nominated, too. And I'd only been home from college two years, and really, I don't think anybody in town much knew me. Well, I know exactly why you were nominated. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Anyhow. The, uh, the other two people came from the same group, and that split the vote, and doggone I was elected. So I took charge of the Junior League, and it really was perfectly fascinating, because here we were, just a brand new group, and we had to get ourselves organized, so we had to have a constitution. So we had a constitution committee, and they were set up. And then we rewrote that every year for the next five or six or seven years. So it really turned out pretty good in the end. But the, we had uh, things for our own fun. We had a picnic out at the Miami Club one year. We held the meetings at the country club. And the community really, I don't think, thought much of us. We were just a bunch of... You know, do-gooders do -gooders who had nothing else to do, and it really was up to us. So we sort of buckled down, and we started cooperating with the Baby's Milk Fund. We opened the station on Richmond Street, and then we staffed all of the stations. And as far as I can find out, in those days, the Baby's Milk Fund was the only organization in the city of Cincinnati responsible for prenatal care. Of the indigent, so? of the of the people who needed help, and the women that came in down there, we got so fond of them. They would come in, and they were so faithful. And if they didn't, we went and got them. They had to bring those babies. They, they during her 
her months of pregnancy, she had to come in for examinations. Or you went to where she lived? And or you, we went, to, somebody got in their car and went and brought her. Is that a fact? And well, afterwards, when the baby was born, it had to be brought in once a month. And if she didn't bring that baby, we got in the car and went and brought her. Did you really? And one day we had a very sick baby, and I put her in my car with the baby and took her up to the general hospital. And I went in, and nobody paid any attention to us, so I went over to the desk and leaned over, and there was a bell, so I rang, you know, the kind that you do this. Yes. I did this, and all hell broke loose. You never oh, saw so many emergency. doctors and nurses making <laughs> And in a very short time, the baby had been taken care of, and I put her back in the car and took her home. Oh, for and that's the way we did things. It was person to person. And I think it meant a great deal to us, and I think it meant a great deal to the women that lived anywhere near our stations. Oh, I'm sure it did. Because you must have had a junior league chairman for Baby's Milk Fund. We did. And do you remember who it was? No, I don't. I wouldn't. I don't know why you would. Well, it's in one of the little books. I should have had you send me those books so I could check some of these names. Do you think the Junior League office has a complete section of your books? Oh, yes. Well, that's good. The little ones. Because yes. mm -hmm. I never kept any. Yeah. I hate to tell you. Well, I had almost all of them. Did you really? And they had enough to fill in. And I turned them over there someplace here in the archives. Well, now, you were president then for two years. I was president for two years. Did you years. take on any other projects in those two years? Uh, no, I just, uh, Mary Anderson was vice president with me, and then she was married this, the second year, and... Uh, Who was your treasurer? Now, wait a minute. Well done. Now. Well, no. Anyhow, her books always balanced. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good They were treasure. very good. And we yes. really did handle quite a bit of money in those days. And then we, we... Uh, Every year we managed to have do something that was fun. We had a, you know, a picnic at the Miami Boat Club or a day someplace. But, but most you went of the time, having monthly meetings. We had monthly meetings, and those little postal cards were invaluable. The ones telling they had them to any send them in every month, whether they'd done their work, and at the end of the year it was totaled. And the next year, if they hadn't done it, they had to do the extra work. And as I remember, we did drop a couple of people. Well, I would for think not doing it because it was the the requirement. Mm -hmm. Well, that's remarkable. What what um, what did you enjoy doing in the league? Was I worked in you, the baby's milk fund. Did you? Uh, I loved it. It was what? such fun. Well, weighing the babies, oh, yeah, and taking I did all, them, that too. I all these all on, motor core and everything else, and. Uh, well, I suppose in the next what five years, ten mm -hmm. years, there yeah. must have been other projects. Oh yes. That went along with oh yes, we did. Fun. We we kept doing the, the. Um... Now in this in this um, very formal list of questions, it <coughs> says, "Tell us about the fundraiser you chaired." What was that? Oh, that was the special edition of the Enquirer. Oh, tell us. Oh, all that about was that, that was really fun. They put out a special edition of the Cincinnati Enquirer, and I was editor-in-chief. And we had a junior leaguer at the, at, in charge of all the different departments and the advertising and everything. And you have the original copy, which was given to me in a big leather case from 
the Enquirer. Was it a Sunday Enquirer or a weekly? No, a week one. weekly. We sold the ads. We did everything. And Dorothy Hake did the garden column and oh, ended up the first professional member of the junior, of the junior league because the Enquirer hired her afterwards to stay on as sake. that's the first professional. And then I myself was the second one. Because after I did that, I opened a shop. And that threw the Junior League for a loop. To have in trade, I can't tell you how many people came to me and said, you can't do this. And I said, well, it is done. Seems incredible now. Perhaps, doesn't that seem yes, incredible? It does what percentage of the Junior League today is non-professional? I imagine rather small. Around 60% are working. That's what I thought. About 60% 60% today are professional and you, people. you broke ground for that. No, Dottie had broken it. Oh, Dottie, that's right. She Dottie broke it. the paper. Yeah. yeah. But it was shocking to have an ex-president do this. Well, tell us what your, your shop was. Well, I had a yarn and tweed shop in my home, and it was more fun because I uh, had the Burnett Agency, and I had the first needlepoint that was ever in Cincinnati because they had the agency for the Williamsburg needlepoint. Oh, for heaven's sake. And it was, I just loved it. And then I got into uh, importing British tweed clothes. Where were you living when you opened the On shop? Drake. Oh, you were out I built a room on the house, had a full-time secretary there in the daytime so I could take the boys, go down and get the boys at school. Yeah and just fit it into my home life. <clears throat> you must and have enjoyed worked. that. Thought. Oh, I loved it. And I made some of the, some of my lifetime friends came out of that. Oh. People whose paths would never have crossed mine. You got a hold of Cincinnati interested in Needlepoint. Well, and then you other Needlepoint places it. opened and it was great. Yeah, but you started it. Sort of. That's really something. <laughs> now let's get on with the questionnaire, Gus. Yeah. You told us about your election. Yeah. Why were parliamentary law lectures given? I didn't even know they were. Because most of the members of the Junior League didn't even know how a meeting should be conducted. This was when you were president? Yes. And I had been at Smith's president of a couple of things. And up there, they were very strict about it. We all were given a copy of Robert's Rules of Order oh, and sure told to please be organized. So we did get organized, and then we had a perfectly darling little woman, I can't even remember her name, who came and told us how to conduct meetings and gave us lessons in parliamentary law. And we, you, according to her, you always wore a hat. That oh, was the first rule. And you always came in with your short white gloves on. <laughs> and you always took those off. And then you presided. Oh, isn't that... Marvelous. Just marvelous. <clears throat> and everybody in the league had to take this course. And it resulted in a very organized meeting from then on. If you wanted to speak, you were recognized by the chair, and you stood, and you took off your gloves, and you spoke. <laughs> That's delightful. Uh, was there a provisional course almost from the beginning? Yes. And that you included that this. Up? Yeah. And that was in this. The provisional course gave them an opportunity to do things that they maybe they'd only gone to the church sewing once a month. 
and it let them find out about the library and the other things that they could do. And it broadened the depth of the And the, all the new members were supposed to... They, they, had, to they were told the about it, at least. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to take no, the course. No, no. Well, they did later on, of course. Yes, later on, it became a lot. Um, what, is, what is this about a fashion show at the Zoo Fate? You know, that's the one thing in this I can't even remember about. I don't think I ever heard of them. We used to have these fashion shows that were fabulous. They were down at the um, Netherlands, and you had to buy your ticket this year for next year, and they were put on by Pogues, and they always ended with the most beautiful woman in town, I don't ask me her name, who had been a member of the Junior League, and she always came in in the most fabulous evening dress that New York and Pogues could produce. May I just interject here yeah. that when I got to be president in 1949, yeah. mm -hmm. we had absolutely no money. And I said, rather than go out and stand on the corner yeah. of Fourth and Race with, with a cup in my hand, I thought maybe we better do something about it. And we started the first fashion show then mm -hmm. with Henry Harris yeah. doing it. Again. It was the only store that yeah. did it, yeah. yeah. And um, all we made, I think, $1,500, which was yeah. colossal oh, wonderful in those days, mm -hmm. and put us in the black, yeah. and then went on and got where raising uh, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 before yeah. they finally yeah. had enough of them. And what, um, what did the members have to do? They had to do 100 hours. That's what I said. Were they required to come to meetings? I think, but I... Don't they remember quite how. Yes, or, they, or there was a requirement. Yeah, have an excuse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, were there any other requirements? I don't think so. As white long gloves as it, and hats. Yeah, white gloves and hats. <laughs> I remember when I got elected, I had a letter from Nardi Campion, reader, mm -hmm. reader Campion, and she said, "Well, at least you'll have a very good excuse to buy a new hat every month." <laughs> <laughs> Been a long time since I had a new hat. Well, here's another question, which will give you all sorts of scope. Mm. What changes are most important to you over these years in the lifestyles of members, <coughs> types of members, the way the junior league is run, and its influence in the community? Well, well it's unbelievable, the whole thing. It's grown so. In the first place, the lifestyles and the members, as I say, look at the professionals. They're more professionals than none. Look at the member. They're much more varied. We were very limited in those days. You Just have no ethnic rules, no color rules, no anything, which is as it should be. And the organization is just beautifully run. To me, I think it is really extraordinary. Oh, I think it's terribly efficient. I do, too. But, yeah. You call out here and ask a question, and it is answered. That's great, There's always somebody that knows the answer, and they know who knows the answer, which helps. And I think that the influence in, in the community today just can't even be compared in, to the beginning. Because I think actually when there's a big job to be done, I have an idea that the powers that be very often have to see if the Junior League is interested in handling the volunteer end of it. Did your life change much when you, other than being a lot busier, when you got to be president of the league? Yes, I thoroughly. It was before I was married. 
and I had unlimited time, and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. You spent most of your time yes, doing getting the yeah. league underway. Underway. Mm -hmm. That must have been quite it exciting really was to see it gather mm -hmm. itself together. Mm -hmm. um, the question is, did you do things other women didn't do? I bet you did. Well, I always have. <laughs> I know it. Tell us about what. <laughs> well, I, in the first place, I went to college. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many of my mother's friends said, I think that is absolutely ridiculous. But father had left a trust fund for me to go to college, each one of us children, a life insurance policy to be used for that. And I just sort of thought it would be fun. And I went, and I loved every minute of it. And I never have regretted that I went to school. And everything you learned there, you brought to bear on the junior league? Well, it just gave me an ability, a chance to, to really find out what things I really was interested in. Mm -hmm. Have you kept pretty close to the league? Always. Always. That's Always. great, isn't it? For some reason or other, I what just... What has interested you most? The expansion, their diversity, their capacity to do the big jobs that they've done so well. Just pride in being allied with a group of women that started as a very, very small, select group and today is really a very influential part of the community of Cincinnati. I guess that's nice to hear. It really is. Um, and I'm never, I'm always just proud to say, well, I still belong to the junior. Yeah, I am too. We ex-presidents got together and we made a pact with each other that none of us would ever resign. What, um, what gossipy secrets can you tell us about the league? Oh, I think they're better not told. <laughs> I think you ought to tell I'll put them in a little capsule and leave them for you. You aren't going to divulge no, any of them now? not on public. Oh, well, now I'm really disappointed in that. Well, they have something to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody else will read them out in front of a That's microphone fine. or something. That'll just be fine. Um, you tell us about your business. Would you tell us about your family? Yes. Tell these nice people. Well, I married a perfectly doctor. charming doctor whom I met at a blind date at a baseball game. Oh, for heaven's sake. And it worked out so. very well. <laughs> His name was Horace Horace Reed. W. Reed, and he was an ophthalmologist. And I knew nothing about his office, and he knew nothing about the house. I got ever. a check every month, ever. Is One day so? for dinner, I said, oh, well, the way I was out today, and I rode over in a new street that's just been open. He said, my Lord, what have you done now? <laughs> and I said, well, I went in and looked at a lot. And he said, you mean we're going to move again? <laughs> I said, yes, I think we will, because I'm just in the mood to build a house. And I said, you know, we saw this house down in Kentucky, and we loved the front of it. So I've got the front down, and I've got the floor plan all drawn, and I've talked to the architect. <laughs> you are something else, honestly. You did. I did. You built and moved. We built. And we moved, in the morning he left for the office, and he said, where do I eat dinner tonight? And I said, on Red Fox Lane. And he said, are the curtains up? I said, of course. Well, getting back to the league, um, have you any good advice for either the board 
or for uh, just the members at large? I think just to go on the way they're doing, but do look for new things to do because I think you always have to have something just a little bit beyond the horizon. A little harder to do. A little harder to do. Something that you just wonder if you can and you must. Also, and just keep contributing to the to the community. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. But don't get stuck with any long-time commitment, please. And I would say care a lot about what you're doing. Oh, yes. You don't have to want to do it. That's no. no. I don't think that ever works no. very well. I think the caring on the part of the League women is one of their attributes. I think that is it. And I think a lot of them would do, go on doing their work that they're doing, even if it weren't for the League. Oh, well, I think... And I think that is the strength of the League, the dedication of the members to their contribution. I think think also the the officers go on and and do some notable things. Oh, they certainly do. What what have we forgotten that you can tell us? Oh, I can't think of anything. I bet you'll think of something tonight. I bet I will. (laughs) Will you come back sometime? Well, I... Don't want to be here too much longer. <laughs> oh, Gus, come on. No. While you're here, come back no. to us here. No. And give us. Give we us. could do that in a couple of years. So there, there's mm-hmm. nothing, no little tidbits no. that you're not going to put in the capsule. No, I, no. Oh, what? Right. They'll be there. <laughs> All right. Well, Gus, thank you very much indeed. And it's thank you. It's all Margie, you know. It's great. Oh, I love you dearly. If everybody had as much fun together as you and I do, the league would be a great place. Yes, it would. Well, even greater.